Hey! Whoa! Hold your horses! It's time for Kootenai for Kids. Your history lesson in just a few minutes without having to sit in that annoying desk. Brought to you by Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village in Pincher Creek, Alberta. By your education coordinator, Ranger Gore. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Kootenai for Kids on Radio KBPV. And I hope everybody's keeping well in amongst this... Uh, this shut-in thing that we have going on, but it's all for our safety, and we hope that uh, it doesn't last much longer. But we like to try to keep up the storytelling here at Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village, and even though you can't come to uh, the museum, and even though we're still thinking about ways that we can educate you. So hopefully by summertime, you'll be able to come and see our buildings. So I'm going to talk about, in particular, a story about a person that's involved with one of our buildings. His name is Father Lacombe. And Father Lacombe was responsible for building the log church that you see when you come to the village. So who is this man? Well, I'm going to speak from a text from, called the Our Alberta Heritage. And it was written by a man named Jacques Hamilton. And so I'm going to read from this text and then I'm going to switch to something else that's going to talk about our church that we have there in Kootenay Brown, the what we call the Father Lacombe Hermitage. Well, he was known as the Big Chief of the Prairies in 1852. Chief Factor John Rowland. He was the volatile chief of the Hudson Bay Post at Fort Edmonton. They called him One Pound One because one time he hurt his leg and when you'd hear him going down the boardwalk, you'd hear thumpity thump, thumpity thump, thumpity thump. Well, John Rowland... He was leading a string of loaded York boats west, and that meant it was full of trade goods that was coming to Fort Edmonton. And from Fort Edmonton, they'd go all over the prairies. Now, in that party of boats, keeping well out of John Rowan's way, was a young French-Canadian priest, and he was going to become the resident churchman in the Western Post. Now, the priest was still a stranger to the West, but he was a kind man who was filled with sympathy for the voyageurs, whose unhappy task it was to haul the York boats upriver by brute strength. Sometimes they'd come to places where the boat wouldn't run, and they'd have to unload everything and take it overland, and then come back and get the boat itself and put it back in. A lot of work. That's called portaging. The voyageurs were strapped into their harnesses like dray horses and they scrambled over rocks and through swamps and sometimes waded up to their armpits in the icy water. Now this young priest was French-Canadian himself so he could speak the language and he, be he became very close friends with many of these suffering boatmen. Suddenly one day the young priest made an infuriating intrusion on John Rowland. One of the voyagers, the priest told him, was sick and he was barely able to stand in his harness. He should be allowed to rest and should be given proper food, the priest argued. But John Rowan's temper boiled. 
How dare this callow priest interfere with his party? And how dare one of his men complain of illness? While those within earshot of this argument were followed, were astonished to find that the young priest was every bit as stubborn as John, John Rowand. And finally, Rowand gave way. Give him some of your food if you must, but he needs no rest. Any man who is not dead with three days' illness is not sick at all. I don't think I wanted to work for John Rowand. Many days later in Fort Edmonton, John Rowan had cause to recall that argument and his angry words. John Rowan had injured one of his fingers, and it was painful, so he went to the priest. That was the closest thing that the Fort Edmonton had to a doctor. Well, the young priest did what he could, and then sent the factor back to his own quarters with the comment, You are not suffering, Rowan. Three days later, with Rowan still in ag agony, the priest paid him a visit, and he wrote later, I had to say what was in my mind, though I feared trouble might come of it. I had to touch that man of iron. I went to him and said, not that I was sorry, but you will understand what I mean, my friend, when I tell you that you are not sick. Three days have passed now, and you are not dead. So of course you are not sick. It is all in your imagination. Well, John Rowan's face took on an awful cloud. If I had not been his friend and a priest, I believe he would have struck me. Ha! He was like a can of gunpowder, that little man. Well, that was John Rowan's first encounter with the man that we know as Father Albert Lacombe. A gentle but stubborn priest, destined to become one of the greatest, if not the greatest, figure in Alberta history. He was called a black robe because of, the, of what he wore. He was matey with the blood of an Ojibwa and of the voyageurs in his veins. So these people that were coming in his, uh, the York boat with him, Father Lacombe knew them well. And more than any other man, he was part of the history that turned Alberta from wilderness to a modern province. Father Lacombe created a Cree dictionary and a Blackfoot dictionary. He built the first bridge in the West and the first flour mill. Single-handedly, he broke the transportation monopoly of the Hudson Bay Company and helped introduce the Red River Cart as the main method of moving goods across the prairies. Time and again, all alone, he stepped in to stop the carnage of the wars between the Cree and the Blackfoot. And on one occasion, he saved over Fort Edmonton from an overwhelming attack. Alone, during the nightmare days of the Northwest Rebellion, he was able to keep the Blackfoot at peace and thus saved Alberta from what might have been a terrible, terrible battle. Without complaint, he took the pride-crushing task of begging through Western Canada and the United States and Europe for the money to keep his mission in Western Canada going. The same audacity that led him to the confrontation with John Rowand led later years for him to take on the Canadian Parliament and the newspapers in Quebec over the issue of separate schools. Once it led him to brusquely interrupt a conversation between an archbishop and the emperor of Austria. A diplomatic blunder, but one that nobody but Father Lacombe could have got away with. Well, many of the stories of Father Lacombe have been captured by Catherine Hughes in her book, Father Lacombe, the Black Robe Voyager. 
And Catherine Hughes was Alberta's first archivist, and that means she was the lady that gathered a lot of the stories that we know that make up our Alberta history. It was also a book made, written by a man named James McGregor, and another book that I'm going to read later on. Catherine Hughes offers a glimpse of the big chief of the prairies at his bravest and his most loving. It was 1865, 13 years after Father Lacombe had first come to Alberta, and in all those long years he had labored among the Cree, bringing religion and a sense of civilization. For his efforts, he had earned the undying respect of the Cree, and they gave him a name, Camillo Achakakwi, the man of the beautiful soul. Now Father Lacombe was about to move on to a more dangerous mission, to the Blackfoot, who had nothing but fierceness and hatred for the Cree. And because the missionaries worked with the Cree, they didn't care for them either. Well, Father Lacombe didn't much put much stock in all of that. He'd met the Blackfoot. Their leaders had already approached him several times with an invitation to visit their people. And they had told him that he would need to only carry a white banner with a red cross to guarantee his safety throughout their lands. And all that summer he labored amongst the tribes on the prairies. And in one sense his labors were discouraging. The Blackfoot wanted to keep their own religion. They had no interest in becoming Catholic. But that was their right. Father Lacombe was fine with all of that. On a December night in 1865, he went to sleep in the lodge of the Blackfoot chief Natus. Now Natus and other Blackfoot leaders had led their people northward because of the scarcity of the buffalo in their territory. And they were getting dangerously close between the dividing line between their territory and that of the Cree. And that was the Battle River. Late that night, as Natus and Father Lacombe were asleep in their thick cocoons of buffalo robes, the camp was suddenly torn by the wild shrieks of war cries and a hail of bullets and arrows from the Blackfoot's enemies, the Cree. While Father Lacombe shocked awake, he lay in rigid displeat as he heard the night echo with the deadly struggle outside. Most of the warriors were away hunting for game, and it was a pitifully small force that was left to withstand the large force of Cree and Assiniboine that were bent on attacking the camp. He was jarred to his feet when musket balls thro tore through the, the lodge and snapped two of the supporting poles. Hastily, he threw his black robe over his buckskins and grabbed his cross and his red cross flag, and he rushed outside. Father Lacombe wasn't afraid. He was enraged. Feeling certain that there were some who spoke English amongst the Cree, he yelled repeated commands to them to stop their treacherous attack. Fortunately for Natus and his braves, the echo of the gunshots had carried to the other Blackfoot camps. Hurriedly, hundreds of warriors, the fiercest the West had ever known, were grabbing weapons and leaping on horseback. The Cree and Assiniboine had already overrun most of the camp when the, Blackfoot warrior, the new Blackfoot warriors came from the other camps upon them. The Cree retreated, but only to a nearby hill. Three times they, that night they mounted fresh charges on the Blackfoot camp. By dawn, both sides were dug in and exchanging mu musket fire between them. With the coming of light, however, Father Lacombe decided it was time to call a halt. He raised his crucifix in one hand 
and his red cross flag in the other. And he called upon the Blackfoot to stop firing. Astonished by this little priest had deliberately marched out into the middle of the battlefield with musket balls and arrows falling through the morning mist, the Blackfoot could not believe his bravery. Here you Crees, Father Lacombe yelled at the unseen enemy. Camille Yachikakwe speaks. Well, the Cree couldn't see him in the mist, or they couldn't hear his voice over the gunfire. The Blackfoot realized he was in peril and begged Father Lacombe to turn back. Suddenly horrified, they watched a musket ball hit the frozen ground and rebound up into Father Lacombe's face. He staggered and he, was and he fell. The Blackfoot didn't know that the ball had only scratched his temple. To them, it seemed like the Cree had killed their friend, the powerful white medicine man who had nursed their sick and wounded, and whose bravery seemed a hundred times greater than their own. Anger swept over the Blackfoot, and the warriors leaped to their feet as one, charging past the fallen Cree priest over to the Cree position. The Cree were smothered by the Blackfoot, and they broke and they ran. For hours from hill to hill and coulee to coulee, the retreat continued. With every cover, the Cree would return and fight, only to be forced to run again. It was during one of those lulls while the Cree lay in cover that they heard the scorning yell of a Blackfoot warrior. You have killed your black robe, dogs. Have you not done enough? The message swept through the ranks of the startled Cree. Was it true? Had they really killed their friend, their man of prayer, their honored Cameo Achitaque? Terrified and ashamed, the Cree and Assiniboine lost all will to fight. What up to now had been a retreat became a rout. A few days later, Father Lacombe, wounded and desperately ill, left the Blackfoot for a period of recuperation at Rocky Mountain House. Despite his physical condition, Father Lacombe left with a strong feeling of satisfaction. He'd earned the faith and friendship of the Blackfoot, and he felt that his intervention in the battle had planted the seeds for a negotiated peace between the traditional enemies. And to his lasting honor, he left these fierce, proud people of the plains with a second name given to him by an indigenous people. And the Blackfoot people would call him Arsus Kitsi Rarpi, Arsus Kitsi Rarpai, the man of the good heart. Of all the tributes that would come his way during his long missionary life, these names that were given to him by the Cree and the Blackfoot would always be among those he cherished the most. So that ends the story of Father Lacombe from our Alberta heritage. I'm going to read now from another book that you may have heard me read from from time to time in the Father Lacombe Hermitage if you've ever had been on one of my tours and it's called The Bold Heart by Josephine Phelan and it's part of the Great Stories of Canada series and these were uh, good books to try to look up if you can find them in libraries because I grew up with them and I became fascinated with Alberta history because of them it tells more about his later life and his relationship to our community. Although Father Lacombe had always known great energy, he'd known sickness and once or twice had collapsed from overwork. He felt he was growing old and a great desire came on him to retire to some quiet place and enjoy a period of prayer and reflection before the end. He would become a hermit. So he selected a charming spot on Pincher Creek in the foothills and he built himself a little hut. 
He sold his horses and had a rubber stamp made bearing the name of his hermitage on which to stamp his letters. Many people were surprised. Sir William Van Horn of the Canadian Pacific Railroad says, When it is given to one like yourself to kindle the love and reverence of everyone you meet, is it right that you should bury yourself in a hermitage? Van Horn didn't need to worry. Father Lacombe, the veteran of many names, might have ended up by being known as the hermit of Pincher Creek, but there never was a hermit who was so often away from home. He admitted to himself that the quiet spot turned out to be a good place to make plans, and plans always started Father Lacombe traveling. There were interruptions to his program of repose. Mine disasters in the Crow's Nest Pass meant that there were stricken people who needed his help. There was also a great need for him to be involved in politics, and he often went to Ottawa on behalf of the Catholic Church, and there was great need for priests from Europe to look after the spiritual welfare of the settlers. In order to ask for these, the Bishop of St. Albert sent him on a long journey to Europe where he met both the Emperor of Austria and the Pope. Once he left his hermitage at the invitation of his, of his bishop to visit the Holy Land of Palestine. But this was more like a pilgrimage. So that's our story today on Father Lacombe. And like I said, because of his traveling, Father Lacombe wasn't able to stay in Pincher Creek long. But we do have the wonderful log cabin church that he, along with the Métis of Bovey Lake, built. And that was the beginning of the St. Michael's Parish in Pincher Creek. So everything you see on the South Hill, uh, from the LaBelle Mansion to the St. Michael's School and the St. Michael's Church, and the, even the hospital was started up on that hill for a, a period of time. So that all derived from just a brief time that uh, Father Lacombe spent in Pincher Creek. So that's just one of his many footprints that we have on Alberta. So I'm going to leave it there for today. And I hope everybody stays well. And make sure that you keep your distance. It's really hard to keep your distance from your friends and your relatives and such. I think Father Lacombe lived through many times like this um, many different outbreaks of diseases and things like that and that's one of the reasons that he is uh, always remembered as one of the helpers so as Mr. Rogers says in a time like this always look to the helpers always seek the wisdom of your parents and your teachers and we'll get through this and we will meet again at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village bye everybody Well, that's all for now, folks. Tune in again for more stories from Kootenai for Kids. You'll find us on your favorite podcatcher or set your interwebs on kootenaibrown.ca.